Hey, it's Brandon Laws. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for the download today. Today's episode is brought to you by HR. If you're having a hard time getting to all those HR strategies and administration, you might need Zenium by your side to help guide and support you in this very complex business world. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution or custom HR solutions at zeniumhr.com. All right, I'm excited for today's episode. It features Sheila Ivlev. Sheila is a seasoned occupational therapist with tons of great insights into the unique challenges and needs of neurodivergent employees. And with the pandemic and remote work, and now even shifting back into in-person environments, it's important that we understand the differences between neurodivergent and neurotypical employees, and we need to create strategies to foster an inclusive environment for these groups. Sheila sheds light on it all, and I think you're going to get a lot of great insights to make this transition if you're going back to the workplace, but also just to understand your neurodivergent employees and help them and support them and accommodate them. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode. Make sure to reach out to me on LinkedIn or connect with me on Instagram, any of those places. I love hearing how you're liking the show. And if you have any feedback for me or topic ideas for future or guest suggestions, I'm all ears. Enjoy today's episode with Sheila Ivlev. Sheila, it is a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Brandon. I love how actionable all your stuff is. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, we're going to go like deep and specific in a certain area. I've talked about this on the show one time and probably loosely mentioned it throughout other episodes, but we're talking about the neurodivergent people here and um, and really accommodating them for the workplace. So let's bring everybody to kind of a foundational baseline, maybe explain what neurodivergence is and just why it's important for us to understand this group of people and well, we'll start there. Yeah. So I'll kind of start with like neurodiversity and neurodivergence kind of gets mixed oh, up. Okay. And so really the realm of neurodiversity is that no two brains are the same. That is it. Um, and so there's a term called neurotypical, mm-hmm. which you would compare to a person who is neurodivergent. And so the neurotypical brain is supposed to be like average, mm. but like it's not better than, it's not normal, even though that's kind of like the world that we function in. Yeah. So just like uh, somebody who's not necessarily diagnosed with a particular neurodivergent diagnosis, like ADHD, ADHD, autism, yeah. Yes. Right. Okay. So, you know, why do you think like from your own perspective, why is it important for leaders and, and other people in the workplace to really understand what this is all about? Yeah. So, I mean, you touched on an important point about diagnoses. And so really like a neurodivergent brain processes information differently. We perceive the world differently. We interact with it differently. I have ADHD and anxiety, so disclosure, I am neurodivergent. Um, Thank you for disclosing that. Yeah. And so 
you know, some people may have a diagnosis. Some people for so many reasons do not have a diagnosis. They either might choose not to have a diagnosis. Maybe they've been like compensating their whole life and being able to like just get by. And so there was no reason to suspect that they needed a diagnosis or support. There's so much stigma. Like, you know, everything I'm talking about works in the world outside of work and a hundred percent is related to work because in the workplace, you know, you think of like intersectional identity. So we know this as a fact that people of color are already paid less. They have less leadership opportunities. And then you add ableism to the mix. And so that only compounds the discrimination. And so if somebody is diagnosed, then, you know, the ADA, Americans with Disability Act actually covers them, making sure that they're not facing discrimination at work and there are reasonable accommodations. So like, that's just like your workplace 101 by law, you have to provide accommodations. But think about all the people that maybe aren't diagnosed for various reasons. They exist. How are you supporting them at work? Yeah, that's it's wild that you bring that up because I'm sure there's people that have maybe then 30s and 40s and they've never been diagnosed, but they, there's probably something off. In fact, I remember reading a story about about a month ago. I'm a big NBA fan, and I remember Tony Snell, I think it's Tony Snell, came out and said just diagnosed with I think he was autistic or you know somewhere on the spectrum, and he's like it explains so much. <laughs> So imagine like in the workplace, I mean, the NBA is very complicated, uh, you know, hard workouts, just very competitive. Imagine what he probably went through in the workplace. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, so I'm an occupational therapist. I'm supposed to know this stuff. I was diagnosed late in life too. Like I've just been kind of like OTing myself. And so there are so many reasons I would love to highlight all the like qualities that neurodivergent people bring to the workplace. Like it's not about, oh, let me suspect who has it and let's diagnose them. It's more about like, let's look at strengths that people bring. And so we solve problems in ways that other people wouldn't even think to because our brains perceive the world differently, right? We think differently. Think about the people that should be getting support and accommodations and aren't. And so like, again, this is huge, especially since the onset of COVID. So much turnover, people calling out sick, people showing up to work, but the term presenteeism, right? Like they're showing up to work, but they're not able to put in what they're supposed to be doing. And so there's this big push for inclusion, but neurodiversity is like barely being touched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wasn't going to go this direction, but I think it would be beneficial to listeners. Like if they suspect and they've never been diagnosed with anything, what are like, what are some steps from your perspective since you're, you're a professional in this space? Like what steps can they take to get a diagnosis if they suspect that they've been living with something like this? So this is something that I do get often. So I, I mostly work with professionals. I work with adults and Many have diagnoses, many do not. And so one of the first things when somebody isn't diagnosed is first understanding what it means to get the diagnosis, right? So unfortunately, if you live in the US, there's the whole insurance issue. And so if you have a pre-existing condition, that impacts your how much insurance is going to cost you. And so if there's a period where maybe your employer isn't covering you, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> so yeah, right. there are many reasons 
like people really need to weigh if they want to get diagnosed or not. That's kind of where I start. But if you do want to get diagnosed, you know, starting obviously, depending on your insurance with your primary care physician, there's neuropsychological testing that gives you like really detailed information. Psychiatrists can also diagnose. It kind of depends on what you're looking for, right? Some people might be looking for medication treatment. Some people might just, we talked about like, just want to kind of reinforce I know something's up and I've been dealing with it. Maybe there's some supports I don't know about. So, you know, starting with your physician, um, seeing if the best route is maybe going to a psychiatrist or a neuropsychologist that can give like long, detailed report that requires quite a bit of testing. And it's not always covered by insurance. So that's, that's the problem. Yeah. Thanks for sharing this. It's all very complicated, can be expensive. And, and because the resources... Are, are not as, I don't know, there's not a lot of supply of people like you and psychiatrists and there's a long waiting list. So I, I would encourage people if they suspect something, get in right away if they can. So, you know, from your perspective, you know, shifting this to the workplace as an occupational therapist, what are some of the key challenges uh, neurodivergent employees would face? So like this is assuming they have a diagnosis, they know they have something going on, whether it's ADHD on the spectrum when they transition, you know, some employers are bringing people back to the workplace. They maybe have been comfortable at home. They can hide some of these, these issues that they have, but they come back to the workplace. What are some of those key challenges? Yeah. So there are a lot and you nailed it with coming back to work. So that lack of flexibility, if you are returning to the office, communication styles change, right? Like if you're remote, there's a lot of asynchronous communication. So it's kind of on your own time. And if you're having to be in oh, meetings, right. all of a sudden the captions are gone. If you're used to being on Zoom. Right. Um, and you're kind of expected to be there. So maybe a recording is not going to be available and you're not able to take a break when you need it. Often there's like more meetings. <laughs> that's, that's a problem for a lot of people. And so within communication styles, like when you're looking at either presentations or how things are communicated, sometimes there's like maybe too much information or too much talking and you can't mute people out. You can't step away. You can't find a written way of viewing communication or transcripts and things like that. So all of these things that we didn't even realize were accommodations that were already in place are disappearing. And it's not just neurodivergent people that can benefit from it, right? It's all of us can benefit from these opportunities. And so I would say kind of the communication, lack of flexibility are probably some of the major ones. And also just the space. Offices have fluorescent lights. They cause non-neurodivergent brains to have headaches, nausea, fatigue, difficulty concentrating. Like how many people have offices, right? So like all that foot traffic, sound, light, like smells, you know, decor, when you had your own space, it was the way that you needed to function. And now you're like having to deal with everybody else without an opportunity to pause. Right. I, my son has like, he's always been like sensory, like overload. And so we're always cognizant of like loud noises and stuff. And I imagine like, you know, adults who have this same issue in the workplace are like hearing footsteps and noises and people talking, like what that does to them. It's got to like be so distracting. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's information overload, right? So there's just a lot of fatigue and there's not much compassion for that. If that's not something that's a problem for you, you don't recognize how draining. So it's like, if you are an introvert, 
and you're forced to do these like social events and icebreakers, think about how much that takes out of you. So now imagine you have to like discern sounds and like discern what information is important. And so, you know, whether you have a sensory processing disorder or, you know, you're on the spectrum or ADHD or any of like the many conditions that are within that category, just the sensory inputs can be problematic. And then even more heightened and overwhelming when you found kind of this safe space to not have to deal with it on a daily basis, your, your system's readjusting to it. Yeah. And then going back to that first question I ever asked you, which is like, why do we need to understand this? It's quite frankly, it's like compassion and understanding of what they're going through because for a neurotypical person, they don't understand what it's like. They've never lived with it. So if we can have some empathy and compassion, then we could probably get closer to accommodations in the workplace, right? Yeah. We said there are a lot of people that don't even know that they have it. So you might not know which one of your colleagues might be neurodivergent or they may not even know. Right. And so like, why not take some extra steps and create this more inclusive environment? You know, most of these accommodations, the kind of generalized ones, they benefit everybody. So it's like, why not do it? Yeah. What are some of those accommodations that you recommend? Yeah. So, you know, I, I mentioned kind of that sensory overload. And so having sensory friendly spaces, because you can't retrofit your whole office, right? But if you could have a space maybe with like dim lighting or an opportunity to dim lighting, um, a place to kind of reduce stimuli, it would be so awesome if you maybe talked to an occupational therapist and had some things in there like fidgets and weighted blankets and things that can be really soothing. And, you know, somebody can take like a five minute break, decompress, and get back to what they need to do, or maybe even quietly work in that space. Communication, I think, is huge. And again, this is for anyone would benefit from, can you vary modes of communication so that there's like, again, asynchronous methods. So can people have access to notes or recordings or captions or transcripts of meetings? I love this. Get to the point in meetings, right? Like <laughs> get, get out that fluff, um, set clear expectations either for people's job, have agendas for meetings. Like doesn't everybody love that structure? Uh, yeah. That's, a nice <laughs> right? thing to do, that's for sure. Yeah. So, cause it's like, again, if you are like paying attention to absolutely everything and a lot of it is blah, 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 it's draining you. Right. Again, this is something that works for everybody between peers and managers, opportunities for checking in opportunities for giving feedback, making those anonymous if possible, because, you know, again, like culturally and just with people's different upbringings, we have different modes of what we're comfortable with, different boundary setting, different ways of communicating our needs. I think every almost everybody would agree, like, if you can, flexible work schedules, more than the, you know, the OSHA required breaks, like let people take breaks. If they're doing their job, <laughs> let them take what they need, right? And especially if, if you do know that somebody within your team is neurodivergent, really focus on their strengths, like put them in positions where they can utilize their strengths. As, as I mentioned, there are like being creative and, and solving creative problems and concentration on certain tasks or like for many neurodivergent people are just off the charts. They're great at. And so put them in positions where they can really succeed and support other people. And then of course, you know, if somebody is struggling at work, personalized accommodations, like there's no way around that, right? Like you can't generalize, no two brains are alike. So, you know, if you're able to bring an occupational therapist in, that is exactly what we do. We build awareness, we help 
with coping strategies, sensory integration, help people communicate their needs. And like, it's totally dependent on the person. What are some strategies, you know, especially because a lot of employers, I hope, are talking about inclusion strategies. And, you know, when you have, you know, no two brains are alike, how do you adopt inclusive strategies that, that create that, that environment of inclusion? Yeah, I mean, like true inclusion is a democratic process, right? It's not just one person that's like, hey, this is how I think Mm. it needs to be. Or I asked this one person and, you know, they have this diagnosis that's disclosed and they said that this is helpful, right? So you really need to check in with your employees and gauge what they need. If it's not a safe space, they're not going to tell you. (laughs) What I worry about is is never disclosing it and we can never have that inclusion because they're always going to be silent and not suffering necessarily, but a little bit of that. If they don't disclose it, then... Struggling unnecessarily at least, right? Yeah. So I always worry about that. Like just if if you don't have a safe enough environment that they, they, they can't disclose that they're neurodivergent, then we can never have true inclusion. Yeah. That, I mean, that's with any disability, right? Like if people don't feel safe to disclose it by law, they're, they're protected. And so there's something fundamentally wrong, but don't worry about all the other little things. If people can't even <laughs> disclose basic legally protected needs. So this doesn't always have to be a top-down approach. I mean, I think peers and colleagues can get involved in terms of like making sure that neurodivergent people are, are, are included in the workplace. What are some strategies that you would recommend employers and employees at any level adopt? Yeah, I'm in San Francisco, so like the tech space is huge. Don't force people to go to social events, like right? Those I think about like those icebreakers. Again, it's not just neurodivergent people, but even like introverts. Those are painful sometimes. So, like, you know, a lot of people are kind of measured on their work successes based on their ability to like socialize. And so those things need to be optional and people need other ways of being able to succeed in the workplace. And so kind of part of the socialization and the communication is I should have rewind and say, like educate yourself, right? So you can kind of understand, you know, again, not everybody's going to be the same, but just get a basic understanding. And so people have different communication styles and people need to not get offended if somebody does set boundaries or maybe find a way to gauge feedback um, and be open to feedback when people do give it to you, right? Even with peers, mentorship is awesome. So more and more there are like ERGs and affinity groups opening up. And so if there aren't mentors within the workplace, offering opportunities for people to get mentorship from people like them outside of the workplace so that they don't feel alone, so they can navigate some of the hard questions and the hard conversations of how to get support. Gosh, this is... I mean, this goes with like any kind of minoritized identity. Like if you do suspect or somebody does disclose, like don't tokenize, you know, like you can, Google is free. The internet exists. You can get a lot of information without making your coworker like your guinea pig. I think those are some of the basic ones. And 
you know, especially for employers, this is kind of harder to do with just your peers, but having anonymous ways or having third parties come in and do audits, you know, if that trust isn't there, even if the trust is there, actually, sometimes having an anonymous like person not associated with your workplace, you'll get so much more information that that people within the organization aren't willing to give you. In your experience, are there specific industries that have been really good about accommodating neurodivergent individuals or and, and on the other side of it, which industries might have a long ways to go? Yeah, I'll start with the good. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the tech industry has been great because not all we, you know, we hear about these like big companies, Amazon and Facebook and stuff requiring people to come back to work, but some of the smaller and mid-sized um, tech companies are remaining remote. They offer that timing flexibility. I've seen some companies, this was pre-pandemic, that did have those open workspaces, which most of them do have some workspaces for either people that requested them or needed them. And you don't really need to like sign in. So having that kind of quiet space, you know, we see these nap pods and stuff available. And then the, again, I'm seeing a lot in tech is funding for people have wellness funding or what they need that's not necessarily covered by their insurance, but that they need for just their overall well-being. Funding for whether it's in your home office or in your office office to get any equipment that you need to be able to do your job well. And so, you know, a lot of this is related to accommodations. Like accommodations are way cheaper than lawsuits and losing employees. So tech, I think, is really pushing it and investing in their workers. And there happen to be a lot of brilliant, talented, super driven neurodivergent yeah. people in tech, right? Absolutely. Um, you were talking about some of the tools. Let's hone in on that a little bit. Are there tools and technologies or any sort of resources that you often recommend to employers to add to their, I don't know if you call it a benefit, but just the it's the working environment, especially when you have neurodivergent people coming back to the office. Are there are there things that can aid their working style? Yeah, I don't know about necessarily tech tools for a company itself, other than what I mentioned before was transcription services, so captioning. So, you know, if you are doing a, a meeting live, having opportunities for there to be a text version of what's happening or, you know, a transcript is after the fact, right? We want people to fully be part of the meeting in the workplace, right? But for individuals, there are free tools and it would be cool if the workspace had it on like their internet, like things to help people take breaks. So there are timers um, to help people take breaks. There are a bunch of a bunch of apps for that. Also, like I said, the the type of equipment. So like there's a lot of sensory equipment that can be really helpful. So I think when companies allow these kind of, they don't have to be huge. It could be like 500 bucks a year or something, or even less if companies can't afford it for people to be able to buy things that aren't covered by insurance, aren't covered by like HSA and FSA, right? The things that they need to feel soothed and calmed and to be able to do their work better, which is usually personalized, but just having a little bit of money goes a long way for like, hey, we care about you. We want you to take care of yourself and we trust that you'll spend this wisely. Here it is. And it's, it, you know, the ROI is huge on those things. So I don't think they have to, like, you don't have to do these major things. Yeah. I mean, with this, a lot of what we're talking about is returning to the office and it's like a different environment. But, you know, those that have been able to work from home 
have the flexible, whether it's hybrid or just fully remote. How do neurodivergent people typically, and I know it's very personalized, but what are some things they do at home to make sure that they're focused and not having episodes of distraction and and whatever comes with neurodivergent? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I can give you examples of kind of what I have seen in practice and it doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody, but, you know, having a structure that works for somebody's schedule, right? Like some people stay up late. Some people wake up really early. And so, you know, these 8 a.m. meetings are terrible for some people and amazing for others, right? Creating schedules based on when somebody has more energy, like really building your schedule around when do I need a break and when do I have the energy to do some of these more tedious tasks, depending on like what your work is. Also for, especially with ADHD, people can become hyper-focused on a task. Forget to take a break, right? Forget to use the bathroom, drink water and eat. And so using things like the insight timers when there's lots of different timers that we just talked about. So having people set those up, you know, some of the really, really simple things are having what you need right in front of you as a reminder, because again, you might be really into work. And so it is really hard because you can't really transform somebody's workplace back into how it worked from home. But these are places where managers can kind of have that discussion. You know, it doesn't have to be a therapeutic process. It could just be like, hey, how's it going? You know, do you think this transition is working well for you or is it hard? You know, I've heard you say this too. I've heard quite a few people talk about giving a number, right? It's not just a number on how you're feeling, but how the transition is going and then exploring, well, what worked for you? How do we make it work here for you? Because it doesn't translate that easily. And not everyone has access to an OT to help them do all this stuff. I think those things can be really helpful and managers that allow it, reminding people they can take a break whenever they need to and offering those tools of, hey, have you have you checked out this app? Like modeling is the best way. If, if somebody's using it and they know it works for them, sharing, right? Kind of normalizing, hey, I need accommodations yeah. too. <laughs> As we wrap up this discussion, what's like the single most important message you'd want to get across to employers about this group of uh, neurodivergent employees. They're, they're all over the place, right? Like we need to, we need to support them and, and make them feel included. So what, what's the message? Yeah, I think it's important for everyone to recognize that we all learn, think, communicate, and, and thrive differently. And so neurodivergent employees have a lot to offer workplaces. And so I think that any employer that is truly committed to being inclusive, truly committed to building you know, a safe and compassionate workplace needs to take action. And it's unfortunately, business is all about how are you going to help the business, but it's going to help the business. It's going to help the organization succeed. And along the way, you can help really all the people in it, neurodivergent and neurotypical. Sheila, it's been a fun conversation. Where can people learn about what you're up to? You're out of the San Francisco area, so how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, so a couple of different places. So if there's a professional looking for occupational therapy services in California, you can learn more about what I do, all my socials with lots of information at OT 
bayarea.com. And then for employers or anybody kind of looking for that workplace support, I have all my information and resources at wellworksconsulting.com. Kind of wonky. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay, thank you. Yes. Um, And then I also, I have workplace neurodiversity survey. So if you want to take part in that, I'll be sharing some best practices of what workplaces are already doing so that others can kind of model and hopefully follow along. My guest today has been Sheila Ivlev. Thank you so much for being part of the show. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.